Friends, I want you to just be holding those lyrics in your, in your hearts as we move forward in this, uh, in this sermon. Um, you know, God forbid that I see you as so familiar that I treat you as less than you are. God forbid that I don't approach you with a humble reverence. I want you to hold those as we move forward and entering into this passage that we're going to take a look at. And you'll see just how powerful and powerful the, 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 that song lyric, those song lyrics can be. You know, we've been working through this series known as Family. This is our second week as we're in this series, and we're taking a look at the final chapter of Joshua. Take, go ahead and feel free to flip to that in your Bibles if you'd like to follow along. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. In chapter 24, we're in the final chapter of that, uh, of that book, Joshua 24, and we're going to be taking a look at specifically just at one verse this morning, uh, verse 14. But as you're looking that up, I just, I'll share with you this. Uh, um, many of you know that I grew up going to church. My dad is a pastor, and, and so I was surrounded by all sorts of Christian events and Christian activities. Maybe some of you have experienced that as well. You know, you grew up in church. But, but even as I was a kid growing up in church, there was a phrase that many people would say, and often it's throughout the Bible. When you start reading the Bible very seriously, you'll notice this phrase popping up all over the place, and it always confused me. And this was the phrase. The phrase was, fear the Lord. I remember thinking as a kid, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Why does God want me to be afraid of him? And people would come and they'd say, no, 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 no. It doesn't mean to fear the Lord. It means to just respect God. And I would think to myself, well, okay, if fear doesn't mean fear, then why don't they just put respect instead of fear? Did you follow that? <laughs> like, like, what's going on there with, with this saying, well, if you mean fear the Lord, what's going on? Now, maybe you've had some of those questions yourself. Maybe you've heard that phrase, fear the Lord or fear God, and you're like, what in the world does that mean? Or maybe you haven't. Maybe it's not bothered you all that much. But it's interesting when we stop and, step and reflect on this, it's interesting that our understanding of what the phrase fear the Lord means is often influenced by how we view God in the first place. Who we think God is, who we think God is like, will often influence how we interpret that phrase, fear the Lord. You know, some of us, we grow up of thinking that God is just kind of like a bigger version of Santa Claus, okay? And as a result, we don't really fear God. We just sort of manage our sin just enough so that we don't end up on the naughty list, right? And sometimes, some people refer to this as the gospel of sin management, where all you do is you just try to be a good person so that you don't disappoint God. Well, other people have sometimes grown up and they think of God as being this kind of cruel tyrant, this, this person who wants to punish people just because he can, right? Sort of like a corrupt police officer, right? Someone who's just looking for an excuse to pull you over so that they can justify punishing you, right? And we're terrified of that kind of a God, a God who would just want to punish us for no reason. We fear this God, but we definitely don't respect that kind of a God. And we certainly don't love that kind of a God. Well, today we're going to dive into that phrase. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And, and as we're continuing this series on family, we're going to explore how a healthy, biblical, life-giving view of that phrase, fear the Lord, will actually lead to a greater devotion and a proper and healthy worship of God. A proper understanding of how we fear the Lord will lead to a proper worship of who God is in our lives. And so as you're in Joshua 24, as I mentioned, we're taking a look at one verse today. Joshua 24, verse 14. 24, verse 14. 
Joshua, if you were here last week, has just given the Israelites a huge history lesson, a history reminder of all that has gone before from Abraham to the time right now where they're about to enter the promised land. And he says then in verse 14, after everything that they've heard, he says, now fear the Lord. Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors who they worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So here we we have Joshua once again, you know, calling the people to fear the Lord. What does it mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, fearing the Lord means having such a deep respect for God that we want to please God in everything that we do. It means having such a deep respect for God that you want to please God in all aspects of of your life. The people who say that fearing the Lord means to respect God, they, they are technically correct. But we have to make sure that the respect that we are giving to God goes deep enough. When we say respect God, we're meaning that we are respecting God because of his complete and utter holiness, his justice, his majesty, his power. Did did you hear the phrase in the song that Lori sang just a minute ago? A humble reverence, right? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about this respect towards God. We're not talking about respecting God the same way that we might say, oh, you need to respect somebody who's your equal, right? You know, like the Aretha Franklin song, oh, R-E-S-B-A-C-T. No, that's not what we're talking about when we say respect God. We are respecting a God who is so vastly other than us that when we stand in God's presence, it should strike you with such complete and utter awe and wonder, a humble reverence. Think of it this way. Have any of you ever had a serious encounter with the outdoors that left you in awe or in wonder, right? Maybe, maybe some of you, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? For the, and you remember that moment the first time you walk out there, you just go like this. You go, what? Oh, wow. Right? Or, or any, any of you ever, uh, maybe you've, you've seen a mountain range for the first time or been up, you know, explored the mountains or something. You see that, 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 those incredible views and you just can't, you're almost so shocked. You can't breathe. It's just so beautiful. Any of you ever been up to Niagara Falls and you remember you can hear the, you can hear the, the falls before you get there. And then when you finally do, you get a chance to see it. it. It's almost just this quiet hush, like, oh my goodness, right? You just, you're shocked in wonder, shocked in awe. But, but here's the thing, you know, the, We respect those incredible parts of God's creation in in this world, but we don't just respect them because they're beautiful. It's not just because it's this beautiful image that we're shocked into awe and wonder. If that was the case, we'd get the same feeling when we looked at a painting or a photograph, right? But, But rather, we experience this incredible shock of awe and wonder, not only because they're beautiful, but also because they're powerful, we, we know that we are looking at something that is so radically in, filled with raw power. Powerful enough that people will have lost their lives every single year because they fail to have a healthy fear of the treacherous nature of certain aspects of the wilderness of God's creation. And so in this sense, when we approach those powerful parts of God's creation, we find ourselves filled with humble reverence, with respectful fear. 
You know, I, I remember one time in my own life, I was on a canoe trip up in the Algonquin wilderness up in Canada, and we were out in the middle of the lake, and I was, um, I was kind of high school age, so like eighth grade, ninth grade, kind of that age, and, and so I, when it came to being outdoors, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, this is fun, you know, I wasn't really taking it all that seriously, I was having a good time, but we were canoeing out in the middle of this huge lake when suddenly a massive thunderstorm just rolled in. And it was this, one of the craziest storms I've ever been in, a, a thunderstorm. You know, suddenly the lake was just perfectly calm. And then before you know it, I felt like I was on the ocean with the, with the waves that were just kind of the white caps in the middle of this perfect lake. And we suddenly, our, our whole group who were out there, we were in real danger. Like I remember seeing the leader, like basically like doing everything he could to get us to, play, to a place where we were getting off the water. And at first, as I said, I was being a bit careless with the outdoors, I didn't have a sense of fear. I didn't have a sense of, of, of humble reverence. But suddenly that storm, man, it filled me with a respectful fear of just how powerful the water and the wilderness are that they could defeat me in just a matter of seconds. I, I love, if any of you have read the, uh, have any of you read C.S. Lewis's uh, books, The Chronicles of Narnia, right? You ever read those books? And in those books, um, he, there's this lion whose name is Aslan. And, and Aslan the lion represents God, okay? And, and the, the characters who are all kids in the story, you know, they're often encountering Aslan in different ways. And, and, but um, Aslan the lion, he's both incredibly good. He's all good. He's all good. But he's also this radically powerful creature, and in the story, when the, the first characters, the, 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 these kids, when they first encounter Aslan the lion for the first time, C.S. Lewis describes them experiencing him this way. I love it. He, it's, it's them experiencing Aslan's sovereignty uh, and his goodness at the same time. It says, they caught a glimpse of Aslan's great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes. And then they found that they couldn't look at him. And they went all trembly. I love that phrase. They went all trembly. And I imagine, you know, C.S. Lewis was from, was from uh, uh, Great Britain. So if you say that in a British accent, it probably has even more power, right? They went all trembly when they are encountering the, the Aslan the lion. Why do they go all trembly? What's going on here? It's because they're standing in the presence of such a great and glorious goodness and such raw and, gr and grand power at the exact same time that it just strikes them into the space of respectful fear, of humble reverence. And so the question that we're building up to with all this talk about fear in the Lord is, how can we cultivate that same kind of respectful fear, that same kind of humble reverence? How can we cultivate that in our families? How do we build our families in a way that comes and approaches God in the same way when we talk about fearing the Lord with that kind of healthy, reverent, humble, respectful fear? You know, there's this awesome place in the Bible uh, that describes the healthy and biblical understanding of what it means to fear God. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. We're just going to take a look at uh, two verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And here Moses, he's, he's writing to the people of Israel, um, and he's talking to people regardless of what their family might look like, their, their makeup, small, large, single, you name it. Like, he, he talks about how there's these, this expectation of what families are going to be doing. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 2, he says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, their children after them may, what? Fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Notice, 
In this passage, notice Deuteronomy is explaining that part of the purpose of fearing the Lord, you know, what happens when you fear the Lord? It's so that you may enjoy long life, right? When we have a proper and healthy understanding of what it means to fear the Lord, it leads us to a proper and healthy understanding of of worshiping God rightfully. And when we do that, that leads us to have the ability to enjoy the life that God has given us. It all starts with a healthy understanding of fearing the Lord. So how do we create our homes to be a place that worships God with healthy fear? How do we create our homes to be a place who comes before God with humble reverence, worshiping God on a regular basis? Well, the first thing that we're going to talk about is Our homes, our families, we need to look at how we are regularly infusing awe. How are we infusing awe in our families of God? Take a look at Psalm 145. We're just a couple verses from here. Psalm 145 is a psalm that talks about the grand, sovereign greatness of God. And he writes this, the psalmist, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. You know, no, notice, first of all, that this psalm is imploring that generations, whole generations of people, will behold the beauty and the majesty of God to another generation, right? Right? What is your generation doing to, dis, to, to talk about the greatness of God to the next generation? That's what Joshua's doing, by the way, in chapter 24. He's telling one generation, what are you going to do now to prepare the next generation for how they too will serve and fear the Lord? He's calling together the leaders, which, which would include included generations of all different kinds, right? people who might have been older than Joshua, younger than Joshua. And he's trying to remind them in the verses we looked at last week, remember what God did for you. How are you remembering what God has done for you in the past? And how are you sharing that story with the generations before you in the future so that people will be experience awe in their lives? When, to infuse awe means slowing down and considering the majesty, the beauty, and the wonder of God. You know, I mentioned this before, like when you go to Niagara Falls, the people who are actually experiencing awe when they stand before such radical water are the ones who aren't talking. They're the ones who enter in silently, and they just stand. Now, if we can do that with a waterfall... Why aren't we doing that with the God of the universe who made that waterfall? We slow down and we stop in silent wonder. And the more we do that, the more awe is infused into our lives. And the more we encourage our families to stop, and more awe will be infused in their lives as well. pastor and theologian named Paul David Tripp, he wrote a book called Awe, and and this is the cover of the book, if you're curious, I don't know if you can see it from where you're sitting, but that's the cover of the book, and in the book, he writes this in the very beginning of the book, it's a fairly long quote, so stay with me, he says, I am more aware than ever that I have a fickle and wandering heart, anybody? I wish I could say that every moment I enjoy some created thing that initiates in me a deeper worship of the creator, but it doesn't. The empirical evidence in my own life betrays me that I give my heart to the worship of the things rather than to the one who made it. 
spending what I don't really need, envying what someone else has, eating when I'm not really hungry, right? All of these are examples, he's saying, of times when he's not giving God awe. He just kind of does his own thing in his own life. And he continues, he says, I need to spend more time gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. Right? When was the last time you just spent time reflecting on God's beauty? I need to put in my heart a place where it can be again, again be in awe of the grandeur of God that reaches far beyond the bounds of the most expressive words in the human vocabulary. I need to be in awe of him to recapture and refocus and redirect my heart again and again. I need to remember that the war for the awe of my heart still wages inside me. You and I were wired for awe and no other awe other than awe for God can satisfy our soul. No other awe can give our hearts the peace and the security and the rest that we seek. Joshua, he's looking at the people of God and he says, throw away the idols of your past and worship the one true God. How do we worship God and create awe? Right, when, when was the last time you actually just spent time worshiping who God is just for, because of who God is? You know, many times when it comes to reflecting on the grandeur of God, we just do it for, like, we, we come to church on Sunday and we maybe only do it in a tiny little part of the chorus of that one little song that we might sing. But what, we are praising the God who has created galaxies. When have, when have we stepped back and just been shocked into wonder for who God is? So what might it look like to do that in your own life? How are you going to infuse awe and wonder into the mundane moments of your life? Well, here's some suggestions, Right? And some of these are suggestions. You're going to encounter these at some point in the next few weeks. Are you going to do it? When a rainstorm passes over, what about turning off the television or, and just stopping and listening to the rain and praise the God who has sent water for the food to be nourished? Right? If, you're, if you're ever taking your kids to the zoo... Rather than screaming about the traffic, what if you're talking to your kids about all of the different animals that God has created and exploring and praising the God who has created animals of every kind and shape and, and, and beauty? And imagine when you have a choice to go somewhere, if you can walk to where you're going, rather than driving and missing everything around you, what if you walk and pay attention to the small things, right? If you ever really want to pay attention to the small things, go find a toddler and go on a walk with them. They will point out everything, right? I was trying to walk somewhere with Elliot, and I couldn't get more than 15 feet because he had picked up every worm on the sidewalk and was just, look at this, Daddy, right? Pay attention to the small things and say, wow, isn't it amazing that the same God who created Niagara Falls creates worms for the, for the sparrows and, and creates flowers and lilies of the field? When you're at the grocery store, instead of complaining about the inflation prices, what if you started talking to your kids about all the amazing fruits and vegetables and produce that exists in this good world and, 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 and how amazing it is that we worship a God who knows how to create foods of all kinds of tastes and shapes and sizes and colors. Even when you get sick, what if we started to step back and say, we worship a God who creates white blood cells? And, and who works to try to create the incredible workings of the human body. When life is going poorly, when, when you're actually struggling, when you're angry and you're stressed and you want to complain, what if instead you step back and you reflected on the fact that you worship a God who has made a promise to make all things well one day, who will one day return, and he will be with you in such imminent presence so that one day you will be a part of a, of a future where there is no sin and no sickness and no cancer and no tears. 
that's the God you worship. Even when life is going so miserable, what if that was your reaction? These are opportunities where we can infuse awe and wonder in our lives on a regular basis. And so how are you going to do it? Slow down and infuse awe for God in your every daily mundane acts of life. One of the next things we can do as we seek to create our homes a, a place of worship for God, we can instill protections. Now this, you might be wondering what's going on here. Instill protections. Take a look at these two verses, okay? The first verse is Joshua, uh, the, the, the latter part of verse 14, where Joshua says, throw away the gods that your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River. Now notice, before I move on, he first says to fear the Lord, but that then requires doing something else. Fear the Lord, but then you need to throw away these other gods that you have with you. Now, now take a look at 1 Corinthians 10, 14, okay? Where Paul, the apostle Paul writes this, he says, dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now notice, fearing the Lord means not fearing other gods, other idols. And notice in these verses how intentional they are. It, it, you know, Joshua doesn't say, you know, fear the Lord, and then whenever the you know, regular trash pickup is, get rid of the gods and take them out if you have enough time. No, he says, just get rid of them. Throw away these other gods. Don't, don't wait around for a good time. Take action. What are the idols in your life that you need to throw out because they are preventing you from worshiping the God with humble reverence? In, in the song that we heard earlier from Lori, she's the, the, over and over it was, God forbid that I do this. Don't let me get to a place where I'm so familiar with you that I just treat you like some other you know, normal thing, that I've lost awe and wonder of you. What are the idols in your life that you need to throw out so that that does not happen? And one of the ways that we do this is by instilling various protections in our regular lives and routines. Many times, those protections will come through the forms of various rules or guidelines that we've chosen to try to implement in our lives to prevent us from chasing after false gods so that we're regularly getting rid of them. Now, I mean, we know this. We, we, we see this all over the place. I mean, many 12-step programs, for example, when they're helping people in recovery, they'll say, look, if, if you're talking to an alcoholic, you've got to throw out the alcohol. You've got to get it out of the house. You've got to change your people and your places and your things. You've got to make some radical decisions to get rid of things away from your life if you're serious about chasing this new life that God has given you. We all need various protections in our life to get rid of the things that are robbing us from fearing the Lord. What do you need to throw away in your life? Is the TV keeping you from following God? Get rid of it. Don't just turn it off. Cancel your cable. Oh, cancel your subscription. Is gambling keeping you from actually worshiping God? Delete that sports betting app from your phone. Parents, are you aware of what's going on in your kid's life, what they're consuming, what, what technology they're using? Are you aware of what's going on? Because whatever they encounter from a young age is going to set them on a trajectory. What are the things in your life that you need to protect yourself against so that you do not lose the ability to worship God with fear and awe and wonder? That many times, and I said this already, many times these come in the form of rules. I get that. They come in the form of rules and regulations. But the truth is, rules and regulations, no, they do not change you, okay? They are, rules are not going to make you a better person. 
All that rules can do is create a culture in which you will become the kind of person that you are meant there, that, that, that you are trying to become. You know, red lights don't make you a safe driver, but they create the kind of culture in which you can grow to become a safe driver. What are the places and rules and regulations that you might need to implement in your life? What are the idols that you might need to throw out as you seek to fear the Lord? Which then leads us right into our final point for how we can create our home to be a place of worship. Inspire fear. We're right back to where we started, aren't we? Joshua says in verse 14, he starts it off by saying, fear the Lord. But notice, he doesn't say, fear the Lord tomorrow. <laughs> he doesn't say, fear the Lord when it's ready, when you're ready. Fear the Lord when it's convenient. No, what does he say? When does he say to fear the Lord? Now. Start now. I love how Solomon says it in the book of Proverbs. He says in Proverbs 2.5, he says, you will understand the fear of the Lord and then find the knowledge of God. For those of you who know the book of Proverbs, you know that right after he starts talking about this passage about fear, in the very next chapter, there's this famous passage where he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Biblical fear of the Lord leads to a trust in God. A biblical fear of the Lord leads to trust. It does not lead to a cowering terror. terror. You know, it doesn't lead to you, you know, oh, I'm so afraid of God. No, no, no. Biblical fear actually leads to a trust in God. You know, notice when Joshua in this passage, he's reminding them of their time in Egypt. When the, when the Israelites in previous generations had to escape the Red Sea and they escaped slavery and they escaped the Egyptian army. And he says in Exodus 14, 31, this is what happens. The Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians and they feared the Lord, and which then led them to put their trust in him. Do you see that? A proper fearing of the Lord leads to a trust in God. Biblical fear of the Lord leads to trust. Not terror, but trust. And in fact, that is why there are so many times in the Bible where God actually has to tell, his, tell us to not be afraid of him. Many times in the Bible, when, you know, when the angel of the Lord will appear to, to somebody, God will say, do not be afraid, right? And on one hand, it might be, yes, this is an amazing, grand experience, but I think on the other hand, there's just something going on here too. It's because God knows that if we don't have a true, healthy, biblical fear of God, if we encounter God, our first response is not going to be trust, it's going to be terror. And many times, God has to remind us on a regular basis to put our hearts in check to make sure that the fear of God that we have is healthy and biblical so that our natural response is trust rather than to be afraid of God. You know, it's been said that the phrase, do not be afraid, and some of you might know this, the phrase, do not be afraid, you know how many times it shows up in the Bible? 365. Which someone has said, you know, it's almost like God knew that we needed a reminder every single day of the year. Now, as we're kind of wrapping things up, I want you guys to take a look at this. This is a familiar song. We, we looked at a song last week, you know, and we're taking a look at this one, uh, uh, one this week too. Uh, take a look at this verse. Many of you know this from the song Amazing Grace, okay? This is the second stanza of Amazing Grace. Now, notice this. Maybe, maybe you've read, sung this before and you don't even know what you're singing. 
It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Do you notice that? And in that that opening line, experiencing the grace of God, coming before God and knowing that God has poured, that God himself has given his life for you, and even though you didn't deserve it, you you earn nothing. Your salvation does nothing because of what you did. It's all because of what God did for you. All of it is grace. Experiencing the grace of God is what actually taught my heart to fear, right? A proper, humble reverence, a, a, a healthy fear, respectful fear of the Lord. And yet, what does also grace do? And grace, my fears, relieved. At the same time, when I suddenly am channeled towards a proper fear in the right direction towards God, all of the other fears that I have are relieved. How precious is it that that grace appear the hour I first believed? Notice, notice how a proper fear of God and a keeping of God's commandments leads us to not only have a proper fear of God and therefore trust in him, but also to not be afraid of God and, and have a proper understanding of what it means to trust him. This amazing counterintuitive thing in the Bible is that the more you fear the Lord, the more you will see him as good. The more you fear the Lord, the more you will see him as good. The more you actually experience God in intimacy, the more you will draw near The one whom God draws near to is the one who fears him. Many times we get nervous that if we fear God, he'll be so distant. But biblically, it's the opposite. The more we fear the Lord, the more God draws near to us. And so let's be a church who infuses awe in in, in our families so that we might inspire a healthy fear so that we become a congregation built up of families of all different kinds who know how to properly fear and worship the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we prepare to sing our closing song, will you just fill our hearts with a healthy, reverent awe? Lord, might we not sing these these words with flippancy, but might we truly, truly praise from the bottom of our hearts that you are the God who has rescued us from darkness. And Lord, whatever it is that we need to get rid of in our lives that we might best fear you, give us the strength to do it. May we worship you, Lord, now with awe and wonder. Amen.